Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan on the series of Voting with Purpose. And this is the last part. This is the fifth episode of five on our series of Voting with Purpose. So if you haven't listened to the first four, I would recommend you going back to uh, those first four parts. And just to give you an overview of what we have covered so far um, in this series is the first one was just going through of my history of voting and what I used to look at and is uh, and then really trying to retune or reframe or rethink how we vote and look at things and actually how things will actually impact our country by laws, policies, and views that are put in place. Um, and then we have seven principles that kind of help us guide our way into the decision making and then really getting into prudential versus like a prudential or opinion based matters versus intrinsic evils that are on the table. And then in part two is a continuation of that part one and how uh, there is one intrinsic evil that literally is the epicenter, the epicenter, the center, the, perpetu- the part that perpetuates all the issues that we face as a country and as a human race, and that topic is abortion. So part two, we go into that topic of abortion, the statistics behind it, and I give my view of where I used to be, because um, uh, I used to be pro-choice, and I'm literally talking like three years ago, I was pro-choice. And to further break down the barriers, I talk about how this is not a religious issue or a one-issue voter topic. Um, and then I go into more statistics on a worldwide scale on how America impacts the world. And we, the America legality forms our morality a lot. So uh, this is a big topic. Part three uh, was we actually went into the development of life in the womb, starting from the moment of conception. And then we actually talk about what abortion is. So we go through on how abortion is done in each part of pregnancy from the very first trimester through birth. And then in the uh, part four, we went into and talked about the parties involved within the abortion industry. We went into statistics on how it impacts women. And we go through the statistics and the history of the abortion industry that came out of racism. And it continues today to be one of the largest systematic racist institutions and industries industries within our country that we face. And then we got into the actual parties' positions, the history on it, and how it used to be a bipartisan issue that everybody agreed with, and then how it has slowly moved into more and more of uh, what it is today. And we're going to share with what is on the Republican side, Democrat side, and the two parties and how each of them view it. And then we say a little prayer for each of the people involved in decision-making laws and policies and within this election race. And then this episode, we're going to actually be going through all the arguments in this part five. We're going to be going through all the arguments that uh, pro-choice, pro-abortion topics get brought up. And this is what I used to say on nearly all of these. I used to say the same thing when I was pro-choice. And we're going to go through each one of these arguments and we're going to see that every single argument that allows abortion to happen is either inconsistent or they have to be extreme. So again, thank you for listening, and this is the topic this November that is on the table that gives us a purpose to vote. Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everybody. Today is our fifth and final episode on our series of Voting with Purpose, and this Fifth part is going to be a focus on all the arguments that are typically put forth for a pro-choice, pro-abortion, pro-legality of abortion, Um, and we're going to go through on all of those reasons, and I was on this side uh, not that long ago in my life. And so first and foremost, uh, I want to just kind of back up real quick on a few uh, things to bring down the barriers like I did in the second episode was that I used to be pro-choice. 
this is not a religious issue because this is uh, uh, human nature, human reason, and it impacts all of us just as uh, murder does. And this is not a single issue voter. And this isn't a men uh, versus women debate either. A lot of people might say, well, you're a man or you, you guys are men and shouldn't be talking about this. Well, there's a few different things there. So the majority of all the facts that I, I get are all from women who are pro-life who and uh, Abby Johnson, for example, and Kristen Hawkins, who and Abby Johnson was a director at a Planned Parenthood, became pro-life. Women who are uh, had an abortion or uh, or administered or were part of abortions then became pro-life. All their arguments, we c- I could get a woman on here to say the exact same thing and people are still going to disagree. So it's not that you're disagreeing with who it is that's saying it, but, it, but you're disagreeing with the content of what we're saying. So um, all these arguments a woman w- would say because they're the primarily the one that's hurt. And it goes back to the very beginning of abortion. Men, it was seven men who passed Roe versus Wade. It wasn't any women. It was men who passed it. And then uh, men are typically the ones pressuring the women into birth control, into contraceptives, and into abortion. So uh, this is all put on the on the woman. This is not an this is a anti woman issue. And so I just want to start there and just kind of lay some groundwork that this is uh, impacts all of us, and this is a big topic to discuss. And we need to uh, think through all the reasonings of why we're doing it and the principles that are in place. And uh, uh, what I found when I was pro-choice is that I either had to be extreme in order to be consistent, or in order to avoid being extreme, then I needed to be inconsistent with my principles and saying, well, it's okay in these matters, but not in these matters, which are which cause for relativism and a sliding and a more openness to abortion and infanticide and even murder itself uh, to value the life of another. So I said this before, what I found to be true is that pro-life values every single human person based on the fact that they are a human person. And pro-choice means that I value other human beings based on what they can give me or what they, uh, how I put a value on them. So it's a very um, relativist uh, view on the human person that it really only matters on what other, how other people's view somebody is the value of their life. So again, today we're going to be getting into all the arguments that are put forth. And so here are a list of the arguments that we're going to go through. Well, what about in those cases of extreme cases of incest, rape, or medical conditions that threaten the life of the mother? Um, we're going to go through all the bod- bodily autonomy uh, arguments that are put forth. And they can come across in a few different forms, such as my body, my choice, um, the dependency argument that somebody depends on my body, it's women's health care, or I can have sex with whoever I want. And the probably the most um, intellectual argument of my body, my choice, would, uh, the bodily autonomy argument would be the violinist argument. And I'll give the details of that once we get there. And then we're going to be talking about, well, what about those cases and suffering? This kid is going to be born into horrible situations, poverty, drug uh, abuse, uh, violence, or the foster care system that's broken. And lastly, we're going to go through the argument of, well, we need to keep abortions legal in order to have safe abortions so people are not having illegal back alley unsafe abortions. So we're going to get into each and one of these topics. So let's begin. Actually, there's one argument that's put forth that I did not list off right there, but um, one of the arguments that people will say, and one of the more simple ones, is that it's just simply not a person. It's a, it's just a piece of tissue. 
But as uh, I we went through on part three, it's a scientifically proven fact. That's, you have to deny science to say that it's not a human person. Is uh, that at the moment of conception, a third separate uh, living DNA is starting to develop into look looking like us. So every single point in time in our lives, we are developing. I was not the same person uh, as my when I was two year old versus when I was twelve year old. Twelve years old, twelve years old to eighteen year old, I was different. Eighteen to twenty one, I was different. Twenty one to twenty eight, I was different. So uh, we're always developing, and from the moment of conception, there is a life formed and developing. So and it's uh, we see that life grows rapidly within the first few weeks there's already a heartbeat and organs developing uh unmistakably a human right so it's coming from uh just it's it's just biology 101 of um when sperm hits egg there is dna that's formed immediately upon conception and life is beginning to uh, develop so that is one issue put forth and that you just have to deny science science in order to say that it's not a human being and if they say well it's human but not a person again then you get into all of relativism because then you need to ask them well then what is a person and then they're going to start describing characteristics or experiences that human beings in general uh, experience however there's always exceptions and so then you also have to apply those exceptions to other human beings that are born and we would never murder those people such as unconsciousness or people that may have disabilities physical or mental or psychological that depend on upon other people and this is simply you have to deny that uh, again you have to even deny people that are born saying that they're not a person because of x y and z so the safest way and the uh, the most scientific way is to say that at the moment at the moment of conception a human life is forming and as soon as that human life is in existence, if you're a human, you're also a person because you have, a, you are an individual, unique person that has never and will never exist again. But for argument's sake, let's even say that we didn't know when life began. If there was no science behind that, it shows that life is formed at the moment of conception and a person is outside of being a human, then let's just, for argument's sake, say that. Well, then the whole case is being said, well, we just don't know. Well, if we truly did not know, let's apply the same principles here in uh, the life around us. Would we blow up or demolish a building if it was possible that somebody was inside? If we just were not sure, is somebody inside? Everybody would be like, no, hold up. We don't know if everybody's out. Let's go inside, check it out. Let's not blow this thing up and end up killing somebody, right? And so we need to first apply, at least even if we didn't know, we would need to apply on the conservative side of, hey, we just don't know, so therefore we shouldn't kill it, (laughs) right? Because we don't know. It's outside of what we know. But the fact that we do know is even a step further that we should not be killing a human person that is formed at the moment of conception. One other common argument that I didn't list off at the beginning of this episode that a lot of people will say, well, they'll say, well, I'm personally opposed to abortion and I would never get an abortion, but I can't I cannot force my beliefs on somebody else and say to 50% of the population that they cannot uh, get an abortion. But again, what is abortion? Go back again to part three if you want to hear the details of what abortion is and how it's actually done. So apply the exact same principles to the abuse of children or owning and oppressing people like slavery. But that would just be like saying, well, it's my opinion and it's my belief that I should not abuse my children and I would never do it. 
but it's not right for me to say that the my neighbor uh, doesn't have the right to abuse their children. Um, well, I or I wouldn't ever own slaves, and I, it's against my beliefs to own slaves. But I can't tell the the person down the street to stop to stop oppressing and owning people like they're objects of of um, use, right? In each of those cases, we do not make a gray area. This is not an option. This is not a uh, my belief versus your belief. This is a human rights issue at its basic. And it's even worse, as bad as abusing children and owning and oppressing people are, it's even worse to abuse, oppress people and talk about them as ownership to the point of even rationalizing killing them. So this is always wrong. This is not a or my morals, my beliefs, my opinion versus yours. This is always and everywhere, any circumstance, wrong. And we inherently know this as a human people. When we, if we were to see, if I were to hold up a, 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 a image of an aborted baby with no sign, people would assume and know inherently that I'm against it because of the, the actual thing that is going on. That I could have been like uh, for it, be like, hey, this should be legal. But people would assume that I'm saying it's illegal just based on the very image of it, one. And then two, we know it's elite, We know that something's bad is because the people who don't even have a formed understanding of what abortion is and how it's done and how, and how the magnitude or the nature of it, the majority of Americans say, well, I think it should be legal because it's currently legal, so we shouldn't make something illegal because I don't know enough about it. But it seems to me that at least it should be rare. But as we have said before, this is the number one taker of lives in America, that adding up all other instances or causes of death, even accidents, adding all of them together, heart, heart disease, cancer, uh, everything, and even applying that, adding all those up, it would not even touch the number of abortions that happen in our country. And 97, 90 to 99% every year are outside of those case cases of emergencies that we'll talk about later and how they're still wrong in those cases. But nearly everybody agrees that abortion should be rare, but it's not. It is 3,000 babies every single day, 1 million every single year, and a third of that population are the minority, is the minority community. There's more black babies aborted in New York than there are born babies in, in that city. And 42% of abortions that happen here in America are in the black community, even though they make up 13% of, of the population because, as we talked about in episode four, that abortion, the abortion industry came out of racism and eugenics to to oppress and get rid of and depopulate the inferior race uh, which uh, Margaret Sanger called the minorities of black and brown communities the weeds of the earth and to uh, grow the white superior race and they still today have systematic racism of 80% of all Planned Parenthood facilities within African-American and Hispanic communities that are walking distance from their houses. So we know as a people that this is intrinsically wrong. Even when people say that they think it should be legal but rare, well, why do you think it's rare? Don't you think it's because in your heart you actually think that it's wrong and know that it's wrong? So the majority of uh, Americans want abortion to be rare. However, there is it's the leading cause of death in our country. And 97 to 99% of those abortions happen out of a place of either pressure or just an inconvenience or the devaluing of that life based on their life circumstances. um, And most of them are based on pressure from men. And we're going to get into all this stuff. But also what we talked about in a previous episode, in episode four, is that a lot of people will say, well, Planned Parenthood and abortion providers also provide 
uh, the, all these other incredible resources to those communities that, that need it. Um, and as we have talked about before, is that their majority of their profits are from abortions so that are making money off of abortion, but we'd also not support a company that had that would abuse children 3% of the time. No, we are against their entire uh, industry, against their entire company, and against their entire business because this is their main thing that they profit off of. Just listen to Abby Johnson and Unplanned, who is the director of Planned Parenthood. She, they made money off of abortions and they want to increase abortions and they're making money off of oppressing women and children every single day in our country. And again, all those statistics were covered in uh, episode four. So go back and listen to that. Um, and then uh, just really quick on this issue as well is that safe abortions. Well, we need to keep abortion legal in order to have a safe abortion. But there is no such thing as a safe abortion because two people go in and at least one person is being murdered, directly uh, attacked and directly killed. So, and then even the life of the mother, if you go back again to part three on how abortion is actually performed. And then in part four, we talk about all the physical, mental, psychological uh, things that happen to the mother. Each life is affected and impacted, whether it's uh, so the the child is killed and then the mother, they uh, um, could also be killed in any type of one of those abortions because of hemorrhaging, lacerations on the cervix or the uterus. There's um, complications uh, within their um, reproductive system and uh, for future pregnancies that would cause complications and even uh, it would induce early labor and loss of pregnancy because of trauma uh, because of trauma from their abortion and it skyrockets for depression, suicide, uh, psychological help, um, medication, and all of those things afterwards. So there is no such thing as a safe abortion. So and then and with that as well, a lot of people will say, well, so many women die from illegal abortions. That's just simply not true. When you look at uh, the statistics on how many women die from illegal abortions, which in one year is 39, in that same year, there's 24 women that died from legal abortions. There is no such thing as a safe abortion. And we need to have things that are contrary to human reason and contrary to human nature and directly attack the human digni- the dignity of every single human person. We need to make those illegal because we oftentimes get our morality from our legality. And so when we make things illegal, it's a scientifically, it's a human uh, science proven fact that when we make things illegal, people do them less. When we make things legal, people do them more. So we need to make this illegal, which begins to change the thought process on how we view the human person and each person that is even born or unborn and start valuing people and start changing our minds on how we view people and not just valuing them based on what they give us or what they can do for us or where we can obtain from them. So those are the first two arguments. The third argument is, well, what about those cases of rape, incest, or uh, the threatening, the medical conditions that threaten the life of the mother? So the very first thing to point out in this argument are the actual statistics behind it. So this covers one to 3% of all cases. So 96 to 99% of abortions in any given year are done outside of these extreme cases. So literally incest counts for like 0.1%. Rape is about, I think, a little less than 1%. And then medical uh, conditions are about uh, less than 1% as well. So adding up to typically between 1% and 3% in any given year. And again, these are actual issues that we need to address, and we will. But first, let's just think about how 
3,000 abortions happen every single day in our country, and the vast majority of them are due to circumstances of pressure or just a belief that they're not ready or the like, and not actually any of these extreme cases that we're going through right now. That would be like in those extreme cases where I can rationalize or justify my reason for flying through a red light to get to somewhere because of an emergency or the fire the fire truck or the ambulance or the police car that needs to run a red light because of, because of an emergency. That would be like saying because of those extreme cases, then we should just remove all red lights. No, it'd be chaos and that we always have rules in place to keep people safe and have to have order so that humans can have functioning uh, society, right? So we have things in place to protect us for a reason. So that would be the first point is that the principles already in effect here do not follow that we should have abortion legal given the facts and the statistics that this is one to three percent, right? So now this would be for the vast majority of America, people who don't know the topic very well, they say, well, I don't know enough about it, but it seems like it'd be a thing that needs to be rare. And these are the cases where typically America agrees that this that abortion should be still be legal, which I at one point thought as well. So, um, but for the very fact is, is that this is one to 3%. So if you can get rid of all abortions and just this, and well, let's still talk about it, but that's better than our current circumstances where 3000 abortions are happening every single day and 96 to or 97 to 99% of abortions that happen are due to reasons that are not in these extreme cases. So, um, so now let's actually get into those topics. So incest. So incest is about 0.1%. It's a very low rate. I looked on Planned Parenthood's website. I believe it's from Planned Parenthood that I was looking at, but 0.1% is from incest. So this is actually protecting people that are abusing people. So for example, there was a daughter who was getting abused by her father and she had eight abortions that her dad would take her to for the purpose of birth control so then he could cover up his tracks, right? Because he doesn't want to get caught for molesting his daughter. So incest doesn't justify killing another human being and often perpetuates the underlying issue or the cause of it. And then uh, rape when that happens. So let's talk about the principles in effect. Essentially, the principle that is in place is saying that we should be able, it should be legal to murder somebody based on their father's past uh, offenses, violations, or the have you, right? Because as pro-life people, we should be the most outraged at any indecency and violation of the human dignity of any human person, especially. like rape as being one of the primary ones. It is absolutely sickening and horrible. And there are ministries out there specifically for um, these women that are abused and hurt like this. But let's go through some of the underlying things that are here. So let's go, let's have a situation where a married woman has sex with her husband one night and the next day she's raped and she's pregnant and she does not know who the father is until the baby is born. So now the baby is born, they have DNA tests, and they and they come to find out that the baby is actually belonging to the, the man who raped her. So the same principle would be able to say, well, we should be able to kill that child. But a lot of people will say no, because that's extreme. But the same principle is being applied because they're saying because of the father's 
past offenses against human life that we should be able to murder the child. But most people, for the vast majority of part, would say, no, that's not okay. But you need to apply that same principle to the unborn child. It's never okay to murder an innocent person because of what somebody else did, right? So somebody else violated a person, I can't go out and murder the next person. And that's the same thing being applied to the unborn. That person is innocent no matter how that person was conceived. And then even think about when there are stories of young men and women that talk out about their that that they were being con- that they were conceived in rape because and their their failures of their dad. We actually feel bad for the kid. We even think about even in general outside of being uh, conceived in rape as. But just think about when dads leave or dads abuse. We feel bad for the kid, right? We don't feel bad for the dad because we're like, oh, poor dad who got this kid. No, we're, we're, we feel bad for the kid and because of their dad's failures. But the abortion says that we should actually kill that kid. So there's one, there's one story of a woman who, who got raped and was pregnant and she wanted to commit suicide. She precisely did not commit suicide because of her child. She said that her child saved her life. And most of the arguments are, well, these women, they need to have legal abortion because they didn't choose that. Of course, they didn't choose that. However, let's actually talk about what happens when abortion takes place. When abortion takes place, that woman is still violated and she was raped. You're not going to undo the, the rape of the woman because you aborted or murdered this child, right? So they still have to go through this healing process. And it's a proven fact that when a woman goes through an abortion, not only are did they not undo the, the failure and the direct violation that the other man did to this woman, but further, now the woman goes from the victim and now she feels like she's actually the abuser because she violated and took another human life. So now their depression and suicide and, and physical, psychological health deteriorates. And they have to go through this whole other process of, um, of a, even a deeper healing because not only was I violated, but now I violated and killed another child. And so there's no good out of it at all. So now there's even a deeper healing that needs to take place for the woman. Again, this is an attack on the woman and her health and her conscience. So again, it goes back to if we're not okay as a society to kill somebody because of someone, because what their father has done, well, then we shouldn't be okay to kill the unborn uh, human in a womb because of what their father has done, right? Because then we, again, can all think back to what someone else's father did and then give a rationalization of uh, and an, a rationalization in order to kill somebody. And so there's no good stories out of that. And there are so many incredible stories where women are actually empowered because they kept their child. And now it's them and their child uh, showing that they can, uh, that something good can come out of this. And a life was given and a life was valued and a life was successful. And people, and that child was loved, that woman was loved, she was supported. And both of them now together live a life together to grow in happiness and love. And then the last point, just like the incest, when we give uh, legal abortions, this is empowering people who are rapists or are sex offenders because then they feel like, well, I'm never going to get caught because now now I can either force a woman to do it or she's just going to go do it herself. And they're not, they're, they're just wiping my, the traces from me right? Because now I don't have any responsibility. And again, this goes back to how we value sexuality and women in general of 
we're trying to remove the responsibility from the act of sex. And so there's either only pleasure there and then people out of out of uh, fear and a failure of birth control, which is 50% of abortions, then they go uh, get an abortion. Or in these extreme cases where it was non-consensual and now there's still abortion happening because there's a devaluation of the human person and the, the thought process of people is, well, I have contraceptives and I have abortion to back me up in order to continue my, um, my sexual appetites without actually bringing in a child into this world and having responsibilities and therefore devaluing women. So this is all anti-women. So let's go to the third extreme case, which are medical conditions that threaten the life of the mother. And essentially, there are three different cases that threaten the life of the mother. There's cancer, typically uterine cancer, where the baby is developing. There's cancer in the uterus or in the reproductive organs in general. Or the baby does not... Uh, um, attach within the uterus, but actually starts growing in the fallopian tube, and that does not stretch. And if that rips, then that it could cause the death of the mother, or uh, complications when actually giving birth that uh, may give um, rise to threaten the life of the mother. So, first statement to make, and we'll go through each of these, but. There in none of these cases does abortion because let's again define what abortion is. It is the direct killing of a child. So there is never a case in any of these cases that somebody needs to go in and directly kill the child in order to save the mother's life, right? And and by the way, a lot of people will say, well, you don't actually care about the life of the mother. You only care about the child and you don't care if the mother dies. Well, first off, it's pro-life organizations that provide all these services before, during, and after pregnancies, abortions, whatever it is, for women, for mothers to empower them. So that's one. But two, in these cases, we are just saying that the unborn and the born are both human beings, and so we be, need to uphold both of them. We need to uphold and protect the mother and the child. So when we get into each of these cases, we're not going in with the intent to kill somebody, right? It's the cause of double effect. So um, in each of these cases, it's truly what is your intent? Is your intent to go kill one person in order to save the other person, or is your intent to save both? And if you have to, if that means only saving one, and then unfortunately the other one dies, well, in in natural circumstances, that's a different intent, right? It's the cause of double effect. And so, just for example, there are two drowning people in the ocean. I can only save one of them. So, abortion would be the equivalent to abortion in that case would, in order to save one, I actually drown the other. I push my hand, I push their head with my hand underneath the water to kill that person in order to save the other person. Whereas the other, the cause of double effect is I can't save both. So I will at least try to get both, but unfortunately I'm only going to be able to save one person and the other person will will unfortunately drown, but I did not kill them or will to kill them. So now for specific examples within the context of abortion. So cancer in the uterus. So I either, the doctor should, to protect the life of the mother, to beat this cancer so the mother survives, will either treat the cancer that is in the uterus or remove the uterus, right? And both of those cases are protecting the mother and addressing cancer, but in each case, it's it's more likely that the child will die, but not because of somebody was directly trying to kill it, but the unfortunate cause of double effect of trying to to beat something that is bad or that is um, in order to protect the life of the mother. Um, in order to do that, unfortunately, what it will, will will happen in most cases with this cancer is that the child will die, but it was never the intent, and nor was it a direct killing of that child. In the fallopian tube. 
So the egg, the fertilized egg would travel through the fallopian tube and go and, and attach in the womb and start to grow. But oftentimes, what sometimes happens is that the, the egg gets stuck in the fallopian tube and it starts to grow in the fallopian tube. And the fallopian tube does not stretch like the uterus does, right? Because the uterus is made to literally is made to support a human, another human life. But the fallopian tube is to pass through it and to have the natural courses of the reproductive system within a woman. So the fallopian tube is not flexible or stretching, stretch for that matter. So if the baby starts to grow in the fallopian tube, that can burst and can, can lead all the way to, to death for the mother. So in that case, what they do is remove the fallopian tube and they try to put it in a, uh, an environment that the baby would survive. But unfortunately, in most of those cases, in order to get it out in time, the baby is not viable up to 22 or the tw- those 24-week part. It's very early on that they identify this and they remove the fallopian tube and the baby unfortunately will die, but they never went in with the intent and they did not directly uh, attack the baby or kill the baby. Complications, the third one would be complications when giving birth. So we have C-sections today. There is never a case where somebody is in a risk, in a risky pregnancy where they need to kill the baby. Uh, And what we heard last time, oftentimes how abortions are done this late in pregnancy because of uh, giving birth through the actual birth canal, if that's dangerous, then uh, abortions are actually done still through the cervix and they need to um, uh, give birth to a, uh, a dead child, a dead baby. So what they would always do, just like in any circumstance when there's complications for a regular pregnancy, is they do a C-section. They do a C-section. They don't kill the baby for it. And even if that means trying to induce labor a little little earlier, when they see these issues, they work around it so that they protect the mother and the baby. But no one's going in there directly killing the baby. It is well documented from a scientific fact that OBGYNs and all of these cases say there's never a reason to kill a child. There is never a reason to actually murder the child in order to save the mother's life. You can save the mother's life and save the child's life or at least try to save both of them. But unfortunately, you're only going to save one of them and the other one will die through natural causes and natural means. But we are never intending or directly attacking and killing and violating the other human person. So those are the arguments from the extremes. Now, the other ones that are more bodily uh, autonomy are the ones of my body, my choice. Um, I can have sex with whoever I want. Uh, They're dependent upon me. So again, it's my body, my choice. And then the violinist argument. So we're going to get into each one of those. So let's get into one of the easier ones is when people say, well, I can have sex with whoever I want. I see these videos of like college girls yelling at the pro-life woman saying, no one should enforce me what I can do with my body. I want to have sex with whoever I want. So the we're as pro-life people, we're not imposing that you shouldn't have sex with whoever you want. We're proposing that there is a way for you to live and you don't use yourself or others and to actually to think about what you are doing and what is intended for it. So what is sex for? Sex in its natural ends is for reproduction of human life and the union of a man and woman. So oftentimes it's not even the union that happens in recreational sex. It's literally using each other for pleasure. So we as a culture have lost basic science and we're surprised when people get pregnant. Even people on birth control, 50% of abortions happen when the that same month the, the woman was on birth control. So we're, we completely forgot that sex actually leads to Uh, reproduction, right? So when a sperm hits an egg that happens only through sex between a man and a woman, that is going to cause another life to come into this world. So yes, we are ultimately 
challenging each person to value themselves and other people, but also just basic science. And don't be surprised when somebody ends up pregnant, when you're doing the thing that causes people to be pregnant. But all we're saying is that when you devalue other people because you want to do other things, and we have uh, laws like this all the time, specifically right now in COVID, we literally protect the vulnerable saying that if you use your body to disrespect uh, somebody within a store or your neighbor and put other people's lives at risk, especially the vulnerable, there are laws that actually say that you can't do that. And it's the same thing with abortion. All we're saying is that you should not remove the responsibility from this thing all the way to the fat, all the way to the point of saying, well, I can do whatever I want, even if it means killing somebody. So the correct answer for you to do whatever you want isn't for you to be able to kill an innocent life. That's why we have all laws in place is for order and for life to be protected in all cases of life. And we're just saying, that should be the same case for the unborn. And it's a similar principle when people say my body, my choice is that we're simply saying like, if you want to go get a tattoo, if you want to go get piercings, if you want to do certain things with your body, yes, we agree. But we're just saying you shouldn't have to, you do not have a right to use your body that harms other people. And it's the same thing with abortion. So, uh, and as we have said before, science proves that as soon as uh, fertilization happens at the moment of conception, another life is formed. So it is not merely just your body. And we agree that obviously your body is impacted, but there is a second person now that has to be taken into consideration and valued and not um, just able to kill somebody. And and again, it goes back to, again, if you use those same principles and you have to be extreme, right? So, so when somebody says, my body, my choice. Well, then we say, okay, this is what abortion is. This is when, uh, this is actually what happens. So you tell me when should abortion be illegal? If they put any stipulation on it, then you, then the argument, the principle is that, well, then you don't actually think that it's my body, my choice. Cause the most people that say my body, my choice would say, uh, when they learn that a heart is beating within the baby, they'd be like, oh, well, that's wrong. They can't murder. You can't kill the child there. Or other people will say, well, after the first trimester, you shouldn't be able to kill the child second or third trimester. They're, they're, uh, viable at some point They're you know, that's a, you can tell it's a human person, um, and all of those things. But if they say, if they put any time frame on the, within the time of pregnancy, that it'd be wrong to c- commit abortion, then, well, then you don't actually think that it's my body, my choice, because that's still, it's the same exact principles. It's the same life. It was just less developed at one point, right? So you don't actually believe that. And again, the principles are all out of whack. And in order to be consistent, you have to be extreme and be able to say that all the way through the time of pregnancy, the, it should be okay to abort this child. Or you need to be inconsistent and say that at one point it was okay to kill the child and at another point it was not okay to kill the child. Or to be truly consistent is the pro-life view of saying no, as the moment of conception throughout their entire life, it's never okay to kill them. And similarly, the way that these arguments can be packaged as well is just merely dependence. Well, the life depend, the baby depends on the mother's body and therefore it's her body, so it's her choice. So, and I've heard this before in, own, in my own conversations with people, but really when it goes down to dependency, one, it's relativistic. And then two, I think it's missing the whole point that every single person is dependent upon other people in any circumstance and any given parts of their life, but especially the most vulnerable that we have. The elderly at some point in their lives become uh, dependent upon caretakers or their family members, but we would never say, oh, it's their, ch- it's their choice if they want to kill that person. 
No. And same thing with a one, two, and three-year-old, especially the newborns. They're in a special way reliant and dependent upon their parents. But it's we have laws in place that don't um, that say it's not okay to kill them. So just mere dependence on somebody does not say that. And you'd ha- again have to apply that principle to everybody. And if anybody is dependent upon anybody, even in like, hey, even people that are younger than 18 years old are directly dependent upon their parents. And then even after that, they're still dependent upon other people. I'm dependent upon people at my job, my career, my daily activities. I expect and depend on other people. Just if I go to the grocery store, even I'm depending on other people. We're all depending on other people. Nobody got to where they are or what they're doing literally based on what by themselves, even if they used other people, we're all depending upon other people. So mere dependence does not follow because again, you'd have to be extreme, but this gets us in, this is a good segment into the violinist argument because this is a good, again, like a, my, it's my body, my choice, bodily autonomy argument. But I think it's the most intellectual and the most honest because essentially the violinist argument, um, and I'll kind of go through it, But essentially, it's actually saying, yes, it's a person. Yes, it's human. I'm acknowledging all those things. However, here are the principles that are in other circumstances that we would say it is okay to um, disconnect or not to provide uh, your body for somebody else. It's okay to disconnect it. And the same thing should be applied to abortion. So let's actually hear the argument. So this is the violinist argument in its proper form. Imagine you wake up one morning in a hospital bed and your kidneys have been connected to a famous unconscious violinist. It turns out that the Society of Music Lovers has kidnapped you and has connected you to to this violinist in order to filter the rare blood type you both share. They must do this for nine months and only then will the violinist recover and no longer need your assistance. The hospital director apologizes for what the Society of Music Lovers has done to you, but insists that the violinist is a person with a right to life and therefore you cannot unplug yourself from him without killing him and violating his right to life. So that's the argument in its entirety. And I'm going to leave a, an article that goes through uh, more in this in detail. But essentially what this goes down to is understanding um, heroic virtue versus basic care. So first off in this argument, in the case of a stranger who will die unless I donate my blood or bone marrow, I am not obligated to help that person because I was not involved in how that person became ill. Likewise, if I'm the one who's been kidnapped in this Thompson's violinist scenario, the reason the violinist is dying has nothing to do with me. The violinist has been connected to my body by the plotting of the Society of Music Lovers. But why is a fetus connected to a woman's body in pregnancy? Because people had sexual intercourse and created something that is dependent upon people and just in natural course of nature. So in the normal courses of pregnancy, the mother and the father out that are involved in that pregnancy more resemble the society of music lovers in this analogy than they do the person that was even kidnapped by the kidney don- donor just because just like the society of music lovers created and uh, created uh, the situation, the just so... Uh, the mother and father actually created an innocent child and caused that child to be dependent upon a woman's body. But ultimately, I think you can boil this down to a misunderstanding and you can clarify based on what is uh, extraordinary care or extraordinary um, heroic virtue versus what is um, basic care that 
we are obligated towards, right? So in the case of the violinist, it would for sure be heroic, heroic to, um, to donate your body, your kidneys, or whatever it may be to help somebody. It's heroic virtue to give my lungs to somebody, to give any parts of my body to help somebody. It's heroic virtue to go and be serving people on the streets of Detroit. That is heroic virtue, but we have basic care and just normal circumstances that we are obligated to. So it ultimately comes down to this when the use of our body. So every single, so this is my body. This is my body, my choice, right? And I'm kind of like flexing right now, but like these are my muscles. These are, this is my brain. This is, these are my eyes. These are my feet, my hands, my organs internally, right? And it would be heroic for sure to give my parts of my body to anybody, even if it was my closest loved ones. It would still be heroic virtue because it is uh, an, an extraordinary circumstance in order to give one of my body parts that are for my body to give it to somebody else for their body. But in the case of pregnancy, the child is dependent upon the uterus. The uterus of the mother is literally there to support another life the uterine walls thickens and then thins out each month in preparation to support another life. And that's why women, they will stop having periods when they're pregnant because now the uterus is doing what it was always intended to do, which is to support another life. So it is not your, it is not merely a woman's body at that point because the uterus is not supplying nutrients to the woman and the child is just trying to feed off of it. No, the uterus is there for the child. So it's basic care, it's basic necessities. And then that's what it's intended for is another life. So it's the basic care. And this is the same reason why um, here, right here in America, we have laws in place that say, if you are the biological father or mother, you are at least expected to provide child support. And that's why it's illegal for mothers and fathers, uh, biological mothers and fathers to abandon children to the point of them not even going to be able to survive. So if they take the child in, then it's their responsibility to, f to feed the baby. And they are obligated to do so to the point of if they do that, it's child neglect and they can go to prison for it. And if they can't do that or they don't do not want to do that, that's why it's still on their it's their obligation to choose to give the baby to an orphanage, the foster care, or uh, another family member to to provide for that fa to provide for that child because it is dependent upon all of us. Just like we're all dependent upon something to provide uh, basic care, right? So it's expected that every single life is valued at least to the point of giving basic care, and this is why. Um, the violinist argument fails because this is going from extraordinary cases for me providing my lungs, uh, providing my kidneys or whatever it was in the analogy of the violinist um, for nine months involuntarily, whereas in pregnancy, it uh, is the use of the uterus that is literally there for the purpose of the child and to directly um, take somebody out of the environment that they can they can they alone can survive and that's actually made for them then that's a direct violation whereas I am not obligated to continue giving someone bone marrow that may be life sustaining for them but it was my bone marrow to 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 begin with, and therefore is extraordinary uh, way of actually trying to save someone from dying or from their their life worsening. But for the unborn, they have a right to receive nutrition and shelter through that one organ that is actually designed to provide them with that ordinary care. And this is a good transition into one of our last arguments: is that the suffering, 
the problem of suffering, right? So this kid is going to be born into poverty, going to be born into bad situations, or even if they, um, you know, give the child to orphanages or foster care, the foster care system is all screwed up and they're just going to be a child in the system, right? And there are more sufferings that we'll cover in a, minute, in a minute, but let's talk about these external circumstances that are considered suffering and therefore we need to have abortion legal. So the same principles we'd also have to apply to anybody. Well, this one or two-year-old is living in poverty, living in foster care, so somebody should have the right to kill that child. So it's the same exact principle. So if you can't apply that to the born, then why would you apply that to the unborn? You're going to rationalize killing somebody based on the circumstances that they ultimately may have not even decided to be a part of, but they're in the system. So then I, we have a right to kill them. So how is killing them the compassionate thing to do? And this is the same principle of slavery when people were trying to end slavery. They literally were thinking, we cannot let these people be freed from slavery because what are they going to do afterwards? Their lives are going to be are going to be awful. Where are they going to go? What are they going to do? It's actually more compassionate if we keep them in slavery. If we oppress these people, it'd be better off for them. And this is the same principle. It'd be better off if we just killed these kids because the environment that they may be born into. So the and we'd have to apply all those same principles to the born. Well, all these people, they're born in poverty, they're born around gangs, they're born around violence, they're born um, and they live around uh, drug abuse or abuse or in a system that should be better. So the, the compassionate thing to do or the uh, right thing to do or the, at least the option to have it would be to kill them. No. No, it's the exact same principles that we apply to human beings here. We need to apply to the unborn. And when we can apply to the unborn and the most vulnerable, then we're going to even have a higher level of dignity and value to the people who are born and that we see every single day. And then when it comes to those situations as well, some people, I've seen people who are actually against abortion, but then they'll say, well, we need to make life better here first so that they don't get abortions. So let's first acknowledge, yes, that it is the ultimate goal in the pro-life movement to make life better here, but to make it unthinkable. So it's first to make abortion illegal and second to make abortion unthinkable. However, that statement that we need to make life better so that they don't get abortions is a very relative statement on, on circumstances being applied to an objectively wrong matter. So for example, Every person has their own standard of what a successful or good life is like. I saw a video one time showing the different perspectives um, illustrated by the views of different people. And the illustration or the analogy went like this. There was a man in a dumpy car that looked at the nice car sitting next to him at the red light and said, man, I, I wish I had a car like that. Then there was a guy riding by on a bike and looked at the dumpy car and said, man, I wish I had a car. The guy at the bus stop looked at the guy on a bike and said, I can't wait to save up money to buy that bike. And the guy living on the street wished that he had a job in order to even take the bus like that guy waiting for the bus. So in each of those circumstances, every single perspective is different, right? So we, yes, we need to make life better, but that is a subjective thing for the, for the most part. And we're trying to apply a subjective thing within people's minds and what they view as the right circumstance or the right uh, life situation or what success or what happiness or stability looks like. We're tr trying to apply that thing that is always changing and moving to an objectively wrong thing, which is 
abortion, murder of a child, where an abortion murder of a baby is always and everywhere, no matter what the circumstances, that's always going to be wrong. So yes, we need to make life better so they don't get abortions, but that doesn't follow because then same here, and we can apply that to the born. If we are living in a circumstance that we don't find appealing or value as being successful or define it as being successful, well, then we should be able to kill other people that that are going to be depending on us, right? So one, it's a bad principle argument as well. But also some people will go to those people who are saying we need to make abortion legal and say, how many foster care kids did you adopt? How many people did you, did you uh, actually help? What are you doing for the foster care system though? First on that argument is, again, kind of what we do here in politics here in America is we attack the person and not the issue. Like, let's talk about the truth of the issue and not talk about what I have done or what you have done. Let's actually talk about the facts. And this is trying to get away from the facts of abortion. And it'd be the same thing. It'd be like me going to uh, American Cancer Society and be like, yo, you guys aren't doing enough for diabetes. They're going to be like, dude, we're the, we are the organization that talks about cancer. They deal with diabetes over there. Go talk to them. So for people to say that, it doesn't make any sense. You're talking to a person who is in the fight to make abortion illegal. And there are people that work in the foster care system. If that's your primary concern, then how about you go talk and work directly with a foster care system if that's truly your concern? No, don't try to put one issue and apply it to another issue. No, abortion is wrong. Foster care system may be broken. So let's do both. But even if you can't do both, put your put do your uh, what you feel like you're called to do in that basket to improve life. But it all starts from that fundamental right to life. So it's always a both and. The pro-life people aren't like, we can't wait to make abortion illegal and then we just stop there. No, we've always been, every single pro-life person at least should be trying to value every single human life, even the, especially the, the unborn, but also the born to make our lives better to know that every single person is valued, love, and they do not, they, re, they, uh, they are worthy of dignity and value and people respect them in their lives. So as with any issue, it's a both and, but we're talking specifically about the facts of abortion, what it is, and it needs to be illegal. And, uh, and then lastly, how about suffering from those were external circumstances, like born into poverty, born into violence, abuse, or systems that are broken or whatever it may be. But there are also other circumstances where abortion is legal based on the parent's decision uh, if their child has uh, abnormalities or birth defects or limitations such as mental limitations or diseases or uh, a baby with Down syndrome. They can legally kill, abort this child because essentially they didn't live up to the parent's expectations of what they want. So it's viewed as an ownership of the child from the parents and not a gift that they've been given and decide to love this child no matter what they can provide, no matter what they can do, no matter what the world says that uh, if they can't get something out of them, then they're not valuable. Every single human life is valuable. Every single life desires is made, is intended to be loved and and and, and for love. Every single life. So uh, again, this is going back to the fundamental way of how we look at each other how we look at another human person. If we can say that it's okay to kill somebody based on what they do for us, what we expect of them, if they don't live up to those expectations, then it's okay to kill them. Well, then we can essentially rationalize killing anybody because every single person is a person that has failed because we are broken individuals that need redemption, that need healing, and we are broken 
And we are also living a life that we hurt other people and we are hurt by other people. So we are all persons, but we all tend to fail. So if we can kill somebody based on because they didn't live up to the expectations um, or their limitations or whatever it is, then we can basically it's a free for all. And all the principles of life go away. So this all starts here with upholding the dignity, the value, the respect of every single human life. And this is why it is so essential to go out and vote this November for life. Because it all starts here. If the dignity of the human person is attacked, thwarted, and thrown away and discarded based on uh, different values that we want to place on a human being, then all life is, all life meaning human life, is worthless. We don't value it as other human beings. We're called for love. We're called for unity. We're called for peace. We're called for justice. We're called to look at every single person and say, you are loved. I will do anything for you. And it's, uh, we're made for that intimate love. So it all starts right here, how we value every single person and our laws and policies that need to be put in place so that uh, people who may not value them uh, may change their mind So and may change their heart because they're starting to see that their morality was not upholding the dignity and value that they expect other people to look at them as. And so we need to uphold each and every single person. I need to love better. We all need to love better. Even the pro-life people, we need to love better. We need to support our brothers and sisters that may be suffering. We need to have compassion, which literally means to suffer with because we are all in this life together. We are all made for love and we are all made for that unity. And so it all starts with upholding every single person with the intrinsic dignity that they have. So I hope that this entire series, this five-part series, uh, was helpful to form our consciousness and talk about how abortion consumes all the issues that we face, that this is the one intrinsic evil uh, topic on the table and is the largest cause of death in our country that literally add up all other deaths, even accidents, and it doesn't even touch how many abortions there are in a given day and every single year here in America. So this is where it all starts. And please go out and vote. Please share this with family, friends, and thank you so much for listening. And please, let's pray for peace in our country, peace in our world. And if you can, pick up the rosary and start praying every single day for peace in the world. This is what each apparition of Our Lady would call for, is pray for peace through the rosary and bring the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary to the forefront of the world that says God would even die for you because this is how beautiful you are in his eyes and we should be upholding the very slightest of how he sees us, that he would die for his creation, that he sees good even though it's broken. We should be willing to do that and to follow in Christ's footsteps and be willing to speak the truth in love and to die for our brothers and sisters in order to bring them into the fullness of the truth and that is only found in Jesus Christ. So I'm praying for you all. God bless you. Please, again, share, like, uh, you know, star this thing on, on iTunes or whatever that you listen on. And uh, yeah, God bless you all.